Father, Son and Spirit, we come to praise You. You are the fairest, the greatest, the first of all. And we have come this morning to admire and adore and love You. God, because you are so delightful, as we read just earlier in your word, God, that, that you have satisfied our souls and we, we earnestly seek after you and our souls thirst for you and, and our flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God, your steadfast love is better than life. And so, God, we praise you for that. You are so delightful. You are the source of all pleasure. You are the fountain of all goodness and joy and all good comes from you, God. So we, we just exist exalt you this morning. We love you more than our language can express. And still, even now, we ask that you increase our love for you more. God, we confess that we don't love you as we should. We know that your word calls us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and we have sinned and fallen short of your glory, God. We don't love you as we should. God, we, so often we can love the world more than you, God. We repent for our love of the world for our love of temporary things, for our love for sinful things, God, that, that we can become so consumed with our fear of people, God, that we don't fear you as we should. God, we confess that and ask for you to change our hearts so that we are dominated with a, with a fear of who you are, so much so that we don't really care what the world thinks. We don't really care what people think. God, God, I, we confess our lack of love for neighbors, for, for the people in our lives, God, that, that we, we might you know, give lip service to and say that we love them. But honestly, God, we can, we can be apathetic. We, we can be cold. God, we can be distant. We can be self-serving. God, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your cleansing. God, that, that I ask for your transformation through the, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, God, that you can, you can take our, where we've fallen short in all these areas, God, and you can, you can apply the blood of Jesus to them. That we can, that we can just, be, just be refreshed in your forgiveness, Lord. God, I thank you for your forgiveness. I do thank you for the beautiful weather that we've, that we've been experiencing. God, it's a gift from you. God, I, I thank you for this church. Thank you for all the awesome things happening here. I thank you for all the people that you've brought here. God, every single person sitting here, God, is a gift from you. God, and I thank you for them. I thank you for what we mean to each other. I thank you for the work that we can do. God, I thank you for all the work done in Hazard this past week, God. God, I thank you for this church that you've drawn us together, that you've bought us with your blood, Jesus. God, I thank you for your word as we come to your word, God. I thank you for it. It's a gift of grace that we don't deserve. God, we, we take it lightly. We, we put it to the side. But now as we come to this time, Lord, we, I pray that you can just drench us in the truth of your scriptures, that you can open our eyes so that we can behold wondrous things out of your law. As we come to, as we come to just ask you, God, to, to work in our lives, I, I do pray for our political leaders. God, I pray for our president and our governor and our, and our Congress and everybody at the local level. And I pray that you give them wisdom. So they can rule righteously, God. Rule according to the principles of your word. God, I think about Grace Community Church in downtown Maribel. God, I pray that you bless the preaching of the word there this morning. I pray that it can come in power. God, I pray that you can refresh them with your spirit. God, I pray that you can draw people to repentance there. That your kingdom can grow there. God, I pray for the Muha machine people in Qatar. This is a people group of 245,000, most of them Islamic living in big city slums, extreme poverty and discrimination, no justice, no education for their children. God, 0.02% of them know the gospel. 
God, I pray this verse over them, Acts 4.12, that they will know that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God, I pray that the gospel will come to that people in power. God, that the few Christians there, the 50 or so Christians, that you will let the Holy Spirit work so powerfully in them, in that many will seek and find you, God, that they will hear the gospel, that there will be a movement towards Christ. God, I pray that you can bless them so abundantly spiritually. God, I pray for you to send people to them, that there can be an awakening and revival in that place. God, I pray for awakening revival here at Beach Grove Baptist Church. I think about our fall festival. I think about every single family that's going to be coming onto this campus. God, first of all, I pray that you can give us a burden for them. I pray that we can love them. I pray that we can, we can do everything we can to reach them with the gospel. I pray for the, the planning of that event. I pray that it glorifies you. I pray you give us wisdom. I pray for volunteers. I pray that, that people will come and hear the gospel and repent and turn from their sins and place their faith in you, Jesus. God, I pray you use that event for your glory. Not that we just give out candy, but God, I pray that you can truly use it for your kingdom. God, we lift that event up to you and ask for you to bless it. And, and not only events, Lord, but I pray that you give every single individual here, a heart for evangelism, a heart for the mission of God. God, that we can be missionaries, that we can, we can go all across this world and all across this county spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, and I pray specifically, your word says in Colossians 4, to pray for open doors for the gospel, that we can declare the mystery of Christ. I pray for open doors this week in our individual lives. God, you can open them. And I pray not just, a, not just for an opportunity, God, but I pray for, for gospel conversations that lead to repentance and life in Christ. God, let that happen this week through us. God, as we come to your word now in humility, um, wanting you to work, wanting you to change us, I pray that we can be receptive to it this morning. In your name, amen. If you have your Bibles, if you can take them and turn them to Acts chapter 8. This is a very different message than what I normally preach. I'm a little uncomfortable doing it even. And so I'm wearing a jacket where I'm a little uncomfortable. Okay, this isn't my most comfortable thing. And when I move my arms and it feels uncomfortable, I say, that's good. That's how you should feel right there. You should feel uncomfortable. I want to read this story, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all our treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. It just so happened. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. 
What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and, be, and was baptized and baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Asitus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Father, we, we come to your word humble and just ask for you to change your lives now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Isn't that just an absolutely incredible story? And I hope it just stirs something up inside of you. Like, you want this to be what your life is like. This story in, in Acts chapter 8. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying you should expect everything that happens in this story to happen to you regularly. Or ever. Okay, I mean, he's just getting transported places and stuff. This is a very special story in salvation history. But the basic structure of this story, what, what happens basically could happen to you every week. Every week. A spirit-filled, gospel-fluent person has a providential encounter with an unbeliever that leads to sharing, as we see in verse 35, the good news about Jesus. That could happen to you every week. Now, you might not stumble upon somebody reading the, the, you know, Isaiah and just so perfectly, you know, have this providential encounter. But you could stumble upon somebody, share the good news about Jesus Christ, and have that completely change their life. This is what we call evangelism. Last week, we talked about the gospel, God, man, Christ response. This week, we're talking about evangelism, which is just sharing the gospel. Now... I want to lead into this conversation being really honest with you guys that this is not something that I absolutely crush every week. Okay, this is this is a struggle for me. So I'm not I'm not standing up here saying, "Hey, I'm I'm sharing the gospel five times a day. What's wrong with you people?" Okay? Uh really uh as I'm preaching this, as I prepared this, this was more of a sermon towards me. And I want you guys to listen into it. Does that sound good? Um, because it's just such an area lacking, I think, in our, in our churches, in this church, in, our, in, in my life. Uh, I just started this thing with our staff where every week at staff meeting, we start the staff meeting off by saying, what gospel conversations have we had this week? Now, this is to hold them accountable, but really it's to hold me accountable. Because if we have awkward silences week after week after week, that lands on me. So... I want you to listen in. Last week we talked about the gospel, God, man, Christ response. And this week we're talking about sharing the gospel. And I want to answer the question this morning, why evangelism? That's the title of the sermon. Why evangelism? Why share the gospel? Why should we pursue this together as a church? Why evangelism? I have 13 points. And I'm not kidding. 13 points. Point number one, the command of Scripture. If you flip over to Matthew 28, now this, there's, we're going to be flipping everywhere, so you don't have to get it. It should be on the screen, um, but I want to start here, Matthew 28, to ground us in the command of Scripture. Matthew 28, 18 through 19 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Similarly, in Luke 24, 45 through 48, then, this is Jesus, he opened his mouth to under, opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that's the gospel, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses to these things. Now, point number one out of 13 is the command of Scripture, specifically the command of Christ. And truly, this should be the end of the sermon, should it not? Christ has commanded us to share. This is the Jesus with all authority in heaven and earth. And he says to go and make disciples of all nations. He says that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That should settle it for any believer in the room. I think about one of my favorite hymns, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. The first line says, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know Thus saith the Lord. For the Christian, that should be enough. Thus saith the Lord. And if Jesus is our Lord, we're going to do what he says. Think of 1 Peter 3.15 that says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Right there, in 1 Peter, we are commanded to be ready at all times to make a defense. That word, make a defense, is where the word apologetics comes from, if you know apologetics. Peter is expecting for people to come to Christians and say, hey, what's the deal? What is, what, what is this hope that you have in you? Why are you behaving like this? Why are you acting like this? And Peter is saying, when that happens, you should be ready to make a defense. You should be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. You should be able to explain the hope, explain the gospel, defend the gospel. That's what you should be ready to do. I know one of the biggest worries, one of the, one of the reasons why we don't regularly evangelize is because we are worried about the extremely informed, well-equipped atheist, right? Where we think the first person you try to share the gospel with is going to be this guy who's read a thousand times. He knows every answer. He has all these questions you can't answer, and you're going to look stupid. Well, the first thing I want to say about that is it's not a really good fear because, honestly, who cares if you look stupid if God's Word commands you to do it? So go out there, share the gospel, make disciples, fail, and you know, you're, being, you're, you're suffering for righteousness' sake. That's a good thing. Okay, I don't think that's a really good fear to say, well, I don't know enough. But also, if you see this verse, 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. So this verse is commanding you to do the hard work to prepare. You see that? It's saying, hey, you've got to be ready to make a defense when somebody asks you about it. So, if that was your fear, if you weren't sharing the gospel five years ago because you were afraid of not knowing all the answers, five years later, you should probably know the answers if you're obedient to this verse. Does that make sense? Where if that's a fear of yours, you should do the work necessary to equip yourself so that fear's gone. But if that's been your fear for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, 
You're just living in disobedience to 1 Peter 3.15, which says you need to be prepared to make a defense. Ignorance of God's word is no excuse. You can fix ignorance of God's word through obedience to God's word. So obey God's word. Point number two, the power of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, very popular verse. We know it well. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it, it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why evangelism? Because the gospel is the power of God. Because we know where the power is. The gospel saves everyone who believes. And since the gospel is the power of God in our evangelism, we know that the power is not in our wisdom. It's not in our winning personality. It's not in our ability to persuade or our knowledge. The power is not in our ability to talk. The power is not in our programs or our building or our money. The gospel is the power of God. And so that means if you know the gospel, as we talked about last week, check it out on the podcast if you weren't here, God, man, Christ, response. If you know that, you have the power of God. You have the solution. You have what you need for evangelism. The gospel is sufficient to save. It has the ability to save. You know, if somebody came up to me and said, Matt, will you go get one of the basketballs in the, in the back closet and dunk for us in front of everyone. I'd had no interest in doing that, okay? No interest. Because I'm not a show-off. No, really it's because I don't have the ability to do it, right? So since I don't have the ability, I have no interest. That's how we think about evangelism. Okay, maybe the pastor can do that. You know, maybe super Christians can do that because they have the ability. But what we see in this passage is that the ability is not in a person. It's in the gospel. And if you're equipped with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have the ability so we, we don't have that excuse, well, other people are better at it. That, that may be true. Let's leave it to the pastor. The pastor is not the power of God for salvation. The gospel is. So we evangelize because of our great faith in the power of the gospel. I've heard it said many times, people can preach the gospel better than me. And that's true. But no one can preach a better gospel than me. You see, that? that's what you guys possess. The gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's the power of God. Point number three. The exclusivity of Christ. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And salvation, this salvation, is found in nowhere else but the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scriptures are clear in this. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We, we prayed it earlier, Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The only way to receive salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's the only way to God. It's the only way to heaven. There is no other gospel. There is no other hope. There is no other religion or other worldview that will lead to heaven. As we talked about last week, being a good person is not enough to save. Being sincere is not enough to save. Being ignorant of the gospel is not enough to save. But we, as Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ, we have the one singular message in the world that can save from sin and hell and death and the grave that can lead to true eternal life and that can actually work. The gospel of Jesus Christ. So we evangelize. We share the gospel. We go out into the world because 
Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Point number four is the necessity of hearing. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's our great hope. That's the good news. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And it goes on in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We just said that salvation's found in no one else but Jesus Christ. And then pair that truth with this passage to see that the only way someone can receive the gospel of Jesus Christ is to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The only way to be saved is the gospel. And the only way to know the gospel is to hear, to, is to hear the gospel or to read the gospel or to have it delivered to you in some way. So the only way that we can call on the Lord is if we have heard of the Lord. And the only way we can hear of the Lord is if someone preaches the word of the Lord. So faith in Christ comes from hearing the word of Christ. Meaning, the only way to believe in Jesus and be saved is if someone tells you about Jesus. It's the only way. Don't have false hope in people being saved without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is very clear. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ignorance of Jesus does not save from sin. Faith in Jesus alone saves. And here is the urgency, the necessity of hearing that the gospel is the only way to God and we have that message and the only way to be saved with that message is to hear that message and believe that message. So why evangelize? The gospel has to be heard. Your family member is not going to go to heaven without you or someone else telling them the gospel. Your neighbor is not going to get saved without you evangelizing. You see that? Without someone evangelizing. Unreached people groups that we just prayed for this morning are not going to know Christ without someone being sent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The necessity of hearing. Along with that, point number five, the passing of time. Ephesians 5, 16, 5, 15 and 16 say, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. James 4, 14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Why evangelize? Because we do not have forever. Life is short. Time is passing. Time is fleeting. Time is limited. And not only is your time limited as the evangelizer, but their time is limited as the potential evangelized. Do you see that? So we evangelize because it's making the best use of our time. It's using our limited time on earth to do the most supremely important thing. 
I was given this book. I never read it, so I don't know if it's good or not. The title, okay? And the title was The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. Okay, so obviously you can't sin in heaven, but the point of the book is that evangelism is, is the one good thing that you can't do in heaven. You can only do it here. Our time is limited. And Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see that? So I, I think if, if we sit here and really think about the passing of our time, Christian, that we don't have forever with our family members, we don't have forever in our neighborhoods, we don't have forever as ourselves, if we number our days, that gives us a heart of wisdom. And it's foolish for us to think that we have unlimited time to share the gospel. That we can just keep putting it off, just keep putting it off. We put it off like we know that tomorrow will be there. But James says, a vapor. Who knows if you'll be here tomorrow? Who knows if they'll be here tomorrow? A wise life does not, does not um, procrastinate evangelism. It realizes our time is short. Along with that, not only is our time short, but I want to point out point six, the permanence of eternity. So our time is short, but on the other hand, Eternity is permanent. Matthew 25, 46 says, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now Jesus is speaking in a parable here, but this truth here is extremely literal. Those are the two options, either eternal punishment or eternal life. Think about eternal punishment. Just those two words together. Punishment for eternity. Eternally experiencing the wrath of God being poured out upon you for your sin forever and ever and ever and ever. Second Thessalonians 2.9, we talked about it last week. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. That's the horrific punishment. That is the wrath to come. And we possess in our minds and hearts the only message that can save them from this eternal destruction. But also, on the other hand, think about Eternal life. Eternal life is the promise of never-ending joy, never-ending love, eternal peace and glory in the presence of the triune God with the saints forevermore. Eternal life that satisfies every longing, that soothes every wound, that relieves every stress, that brings perfect fellowship with God and His people forever and ever and ever. It's everything you could ever want. And we, as the church, know the way to this eternal life. We know the way. We know the message that can change a life and lead them to eternal joy in the presence of God forevermore. So how could we not evangelize when we have this beautiful, amazing gift? How could we not evangelize when we consider the permanence of eternity that the stakes are so high? Either way. Point number seven is the salvation of sinners. Take your Bibles, turn them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The salvation of sinners. I want to read verses 4 and 5, 
and then verses 9 through 10. Verses 4 and 5 says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How do we know that? Because, verse 5, our gospel, the good news, came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see that in verse 5? Our gospel, the good news, came to you not only in word, so there's a, there's a chance, there's an opportunity. When you share the gospel, God, man, Christ's response with someone, there's an opportunity, there's a chance that, that they don't just hear the word, but something happens. That the gospel will come not just in word, but it will come in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And Paul planted this church he's speaking to. He's, he's, he's speaking from experience. That he, he shared the gospel, he preached the gospel, and people turned to the Lord. Verse 9, they turned to God from idols to serve God. And this happened through Paul's evangelism. So what I'm trying to say is that when you are faithful to evangelize, there is always the chance that the gospel will come in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. When you evangelize, that person may, depending on the work of the Holy Spirit, really and actually turn to God from idols and to serve the living and true God. I just heard a story about this just yesterday um, with Kenny Rudd sharing the gospel with someone, and that person put their faith in Jesus Christ. I just want to point out that, you know, evangelism, you might get rejected, you might get stunned, you might get stumped, you might get hated, you might get persecuted, but there's a chance, there's an opportunity for that person's life to truly change, for them to truly turn from their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ, because we, we believe that because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And you are sharing a good news that can absolutely and radically change sinners' hearts and lives and eternities. So if we, as a church and as a people, are faithful to evangelism, I really believe that God is going to be faithful to save. And I would absolutely love for this church, Beach Grove Baptist Church, to grow. Not just from transfer growth from people coming from other churches, even though that's great, we're thankful for it. Not just from, you know, things getting exciting here and us getting healthier, even though that's great, I want that to happen. But wouldn't you love for this church to be packed full of people who didn't know Jesus a month ago? And because we went out and, and started being faithful in evangelism, people's lives began to change. We started seeing baptisms of people who, who were so far from God, but they were brought near through the grace of God through Jesus Christ and through the faithful proclamation of the gospel. I'd love to see that. Speaking of point number eight, the desire of the Christian. If you'll, if you'll flip with me to Romans chapter 9. And I'm not hearing too many pages. I get if you've given up on the flipping, but Romans chapter 9, it's going to be on the screen. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. This is the proper attitude of the Christian. 
Paul is so brokenhearted, so compassionate, so upset that his Jewish brothers have not placed their faith in Christ. Look at verse 2. He says he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart, so much so that he wishes that he could be cut off from Christ so that his beloved Jewish brothers could be united to Christ in his place. Do you care this much? Do I care this much? Do you love your this much that you are feeling great sorrow unceasing anguish over their spiritual state apart from Christ now we can't lose our salvation for others doesn't work like that but we can lose our comfort for others we can't risk our lives for others we can't lay down our preferences for others this should be the desire of every Christian deep God, to see sinners repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ. I think of this quote from Charles Spurgeon where he says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. That should be our spirit. So why evangelize? Because every Christian who loves his neighbor as himself should desire for people to repent of their sins, to place their faith in Jesus Christ, to be saved from an eternal hell and transferred into the kingdom of God. But not only that, but Christians desire the growth of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 22-23 says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all. For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul desperately wants other people to experience the blessings of the gospel, to experience the blessing of the kingdom of God. Listen, it's not biblical to want the kingdom to become smaller and smaller and smaller. Where we just get more exclusive and more exclusive and we just, we, we never see, that, that's not Christianity. We don't, we don't whistle while the world goes to hell. Oh, we don't want to be like Jonah, who was grace for me, but not for thee. Right? We want, we want to earnestly, we, we want to see God's kingdom expand to include more and more people. The biblical Christian wants more people to share in the blessings of the gospel. Point number nine. The irresistibility of good news. We see this in Acts chapter four. I love this story. Peter and John. They got in trouble for preaching the gospel. So in verse 18, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. No more gospel sharing. No more evangelism. What does verse 19 say? But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Verse 21 says that when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people. Okay, so Peter and John are facing fierce opposition to their evangelism, which we will as well, no doubt about it. This message is not evangelism is awesome and easy. Go have an awesome time doing it. Okay, that's not the message at all. No, Peter and John are going to get in legal trouble. They're going to get threatened. They're going to get beaten, eventually rejected, mocked. Peter would be martyred. John would be exiled. So why evangelize? It's in verse 20. 
For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Number one, the good news is so good that Peter and John says we have got to share it. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Think about this, Christian. Your sins have been forgiven. You don't have to bear the punishment for your sins. You've been adopted as a son and daughter of God. You've been brought into the kingdom. You've been joined to the church. You deserved hell, but you got heaven. You're guilty, but you've been declared righteous. You deserve death, but you got life. You deserved eternal misery, but got eternal joy. How could you not share this good news? This, I mean, as they said, we cannot bespeak of what we've seen and heard. But also, as we see here, there's a, there, Peter and John feared God when they feared man. They said, hey, you can judge for yourself whether it's better for us to listen to God or to you. But obviously, we're going to listen to God. That's what it says there. They cared more about what God thought than what the world thought. So they had to speak. They had to share. They were going to continue in persecution and continue through suffering. They were going to press through. And often I'm afraid our evangelism falls so short because we fear man so much. Right? We're not walking into conversations thinking, I want to please God. I want to make sure that I honor God with this conversation. I don't want to upset this person. I don't want to break our cultural norms. We don't talk about these things. So I'm not going to, no. They were so focused on pleasing God over man, which leads me to my tenth point. The joy of obedience. Why evangelize? Because obedience is such a joyful thing for the Christian. What does a Christian want to do with their life? They want to please God. Don't you want that deep within your heart to please God, this wonderful God who saved you from your sin? I think about 2 Corinthians 5, 9 that says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Is that your aim, Christian? To please God? We know that obeying God pleases God. And God has commanded it. God's commanded evangelism. So we evangelize because of the joy of obedience. Nothing should make the Christian more happy than making God happy with their life. Who cares if the world frowns if God smiles? We evangelize out of our love for God. We have gospel conversations because we want to hear Matthew 25, 23 applied to us. Here's why you should go out and talk to your family members. Here's why you should have the difficult conversation at work. To hear Matthew 25, 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Why evangelize? Because we are servants of God who want to be faithful and please God. And that is where a Christian is going to find true joy. Obedience to the Father. Point number 11, the promise of the Spirit. Why evangelize the promise of the Spirit? Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12 says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus here is given a very specific promise to the, to the disciples, but I think this has a general application that the Holy Spirit will be with you in difficult circumstances, specifically when you are suffering for the gospel. And the promise here is that the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Obviously, due to what we've already talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3.15, this doesn't mean, do not take this verse to mean I don't need to prepare. It's not what this means. It doesn't mean I'm not, I don't know the gospel, but I'm going to go try my best. 
Okay, no, you, you need to do the hard work to prepare. You need to know the gospel. You need to become gospel fluent. You need to know theology, the word of God, apologetics well. You need to practice, right, grow in your fluency of the gospel. You need to memorize as many scriptures that you can that relate to evangelism. You need to do these things. You know, I was so thankful. Somebody came up to me this week and said, hey, share the gospel in 60 seconds. They did that to me. I was, I was thankful that they asked me to do that. They're, they're holding me accountable. We need accountability. But why evangelize? Because after all that, after all that work and preparation, we can trust the promise of the Spirit. That he will teach us in that moment. He will guide us in that moment to say what we need to say if we depend upon him. And this should give us great confidence that the Christian never evangelizes alone. But the Spirit is there empowering you, enabling you, and teaching you. Speaking of, point number 12, the presence of Christ. We read it at the very beginning. Um, Matthew 28, 20 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples. And at the very end of it, he says, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ has promised his presence with the disciple-making evangelist. So, Christian, why evangelize? Because this is not something you have to do in your own strength. We go out and share in the presence of Christ. You aren't having the conversation alone, but Christ has promised to be with you in that gospel conversation, in that evangelism. So why evangelize? Because you're empowered by the Spirit and surrounded by the Son. Why would you ever think that you are unable to do this, Christian? The Holy Spirit's equipping you. The the presence of Jesus is with you. You have the power of the omnipotent God ever present in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit and the promised presence of Jesus Christ. So therefore, go forth and share the good news of the gospel in confidence. But also remember that you should evangelize because you're in the presence of Christ, the one who gave you the command to evangelize. He says he'll be with you always. We know, we know God's omnipresence. He's always with us. So when we cower from our evangelism, when in, our, in, our, in our fear of man, we, we stop short. We're stopping short in the presence of Christ. He's not far away focused on something else, but he's ever-present in these conversations we have. He's standing right there. Evangelize. Be faithful. My final point. The glory of God. We've discussed so many reasons why we should share the gospel, but I think this one's the most important. Why evangelize? The glory of God. Even more than the salvation of sinners, even more than the permanence of eternity, even more than the joy of obedience, we should share the gospel because of God's glory. Because God deserves the glory. I think of Psalm 67. 4 through 5, it says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. There is a desire in the psalmist's heart for all the people to praise God. God is so glorious that we should want more people to praise him. We should say, hey, you can't miss out on this glorious gospel. This God is so good. He's so loving. He's so great so generous and gracious and merciful, you have got to hear about him and you have got to spend your entire life praising him. The Christians should yearn for that, that I want all the peoples to praise God because he's worthy of it. God is so glorious. God is so good and so perfect, so loving, so gracious. And in the gospel, we see it so clearly. I want to remind you, this good, gracious God created you. He did. He created this whole world. 
He's the source of everything good. But you as a man, as a woman, you have sinned against this holy God. And you have fallen short of that glory. You have rebelled against him. You have rejected him. You've rejected him by not loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've rejected him in your lust and your anger and your lying. Your disrespect of your parents. Your, your lack of love for a neighbor. Your fear of man. Your disregard of scripture. And the, the punishment for that sin is eternal hell, as we were talking about earlier. And that's what you deserve. To be eternally separated from the goodness of God, away from the glory of His might, facing eternal destruction. That's the bad news. You're a sinner. There's nothing you can do about it. You're helpless. But the good news of the gospel is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that you were supposed to live. He completely accomplished the perfectly righteous life that there's no way you could have accomplished it he lived that life perfectly but then he didn't get rewarded for that life but instead he took the punishment that you deserved for your sinful life he went to the cross and he died in your place bearing the punishment the guilt the wrath that you deserved fully and completely and finally on the cross and he declared on the cross it is finished he was buried in the tomb but three days later he rose back to life Jesus is alive today and therefore he is able to save you from your sins. If you will repent and turn from your sins and turn to Christ in faith, casting yourself upon Jesus, asking for him to save you, fully believing in him and his promise to save. With that gospel, so good for sinners like us, that we deserve hell but we got heaven, that we deserve punishment but God took it for us in our place, how could we not evangelize and say God deserves the glory for this because I deserved wrath but got grace? Our God deserves the maximum amount of glory possible. How does our evangelism lead to God's glory? Two ways. Number one, our obedience glorifies God, does it not? Listen, evangelism is difficult. Evangelism is so uncomfortable. Evangelism feels like death. (laughs) Okay? There's nothing I can do to make it easy and simple. It will always feel like death. It will always be hard. You'll always be crossing a boundary. I mean, we're telling people they deserve to burn in hell for eternity. Okay, there's no way for me to dress that up and make it nice. But it's good. And if our death glorifies God, is it not worth it? If our uncomfortable life glorifies God, is that not worth it for that God to get the glory through our suffering for him and his sake? Number two, evangelism glorifies God because we want as many people as possible in our sphere of influence to know the goodness of God. And not only in our sphere of influence, but beyond it in the world. We want everyone to fall in love with Jesus Christ. We want everyone to live their life for the praise of his glorious name. I want to go back to what we read at the beginning of the service, Psalm 96. This is why we evangelize. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. See that? Sing to the Lord all the earth. Not just here in this little building, but we want the whole earth to sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the people. Why? Look at verse 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do his name. That's why we have.
evangelized this morning because God is due the glory. He's not just due the glory that we can give him, but all the nations, all the peoples can give him. And that is why we evangelize. In conclusion, I have 13 points, right? But really, there's just one point. You should share the gospel. Hope you see that. So you, you, you might not remember every, remember every single point right now, but I hope you get the impression from God's word that we need to be a church that shares the gospel. We need to be a gospel-sharing church. We might not ever become the biggest church or the wealthiest church or the coolest church. We might not ever be the smartest church or the most successful church or the church with the best programs. But what's stopping us from becoming the most gospel-sharing church? We could do that. I know some may have hesitation saying, I need more training. If we could just do 15 weeks of evangelism training, I think I'd be ready to do it. Okay, And I'm not saying that's not helpful. We'll definitely do some evangelism training in the future. But if you can become fluent in the gospel that we talked about last week, God, man, Christ response, and you have a love for God's glory and a love for people, that's enough right there. Stumble into the conversation. Ask them if they know the gospel. Ask them if they know the best news ever. You can get there if you love God, love people, and are fluent in the gospel. I want to challenge you to do that this week, to share the gospel with somebody. I'm challenging myself. Hold me accountable and ask me next Sunday. The reason why is because we become a healthy church when every single member is passionately and regularly sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you and ask you, will you join me in repenting and pursuing this together as a church? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, 13 reasons why we should evangelize God. The first one's enough. You've commanded it. God, I pray that we can honor you with our lives, that we can honor you with our suffering, that we can honor you with our obedience in spite of the suffering. God, I pray that you can put people on our hearts this week, God, that we, can, that we can earnestly love them enough to tell them the truth. God, will you give us boldness? God, we need boldness. We need to be so consumed with your glory. God, we need to be equipped. God, I pray that we can become fluent in the gospel. I pray that we can share that gospel regularly. God, I pray that you can just, um, just transform our DNA to be a church that, that loves you and your glory so much and, and cares so much about your glory and cares so much about people that we can't help but share. God, in this time, I pray that we sing and we rejoice in the gospel. God, I also pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll impress these truths deeply upon our hearts, that we can glorify you through our evangelism, through being a healthy church that pursues this together. Jesus, amen.